G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates. Thanks very much for joining me. And this year, 2020, I was expecting this to be the year that another Bloody Movie Podcast, you know, kind of took off, like started to do the show a little bit more regularly. And of course, nothing ever goes to plan, especially when a global pandemic gets in the way of doing it. But luckily, the internet is here and I can still, like, I'm self-isolating I'm staying in quarantine, watching a lot of movies and TV shows. Peep Show has been a nice warm blanket for me to just watch like episode after episode on stand. But I am here with a very special guest joining me via Zoom all the way from Sydney to talk about the impact that this virus is having on the cinema industry and film filmmaking and just movies in general. So my special guest, good friend of mine, he's been on the show before, but it's his first time being on a full episode. He is a Sydney film critic, founder of Falcon Stream, Festivez, and one third of Film Fight Club on 2SER Sydney, Mr. Glenn Falkenstein. Thanks for coming on, Glenn. Thank you for having me. And it's so good to be here and so good to see you. I wasn't sure when I was going to see you again, but this means we can keep it up, keep it all going. And it, it is good to see. I know the listeners can't see your face, but it is good to see your face, Sean. It's very good to see your face too, Glenn. And I'm upset that your, your, your regular annual trip to Melbourne, which is usually the Melbourne International Film Festival, which is probably the most recent news and the saddest news that has come out of all of this recently, is that Melbourne International Film Festival has been cancelled for 2020, along with many other film festivals, not only in Australia, but around the world. Glenn, what's going on? <laughs> How are we going to survive this? I'm, I'm so sad about this. This would be my seventh myth. I make it down every August. I always look forward to it. I come for the better part of two weeks. I can't always do it all the whole 18 days. I love it. I'm devastated at this and upwards of 40 plus festivals. So either canceled, postponed runs or individual events. Um, as of the end of March, my count was at 44, but it's been quite a few more since then. I think the way we're going to uh, get through this, I, mean, I know a lot of my friends, film fans and otherwise are turning to, movies whether it be netflix stan and my regular days the girls too sean are going to festivals going to places like myth and i think we're going to get through this by and these places are going to get through it by adapting and i think we're already seeing a lot of these places starting to do that even myth has signaled that they're looking at ways to go online and reach audiences in the coming months absent the proper august festival taking place so myth is cancelled unfortunately and your fave the sydney film festival is cancelled. All of these, even big international festivals, can, which really took their time with actually calling the festival off though. But I mean, a big, a big part of what, what you're a big advocate for is that the film festival experience is always, the social aspect is always a huge part of that. But do you see, probably not can, and I think they've came out in the last couple of days saying absolutely not. Do you think someone like a MIF or like a Sydney film festival, maybe even one of the smaller festivals, will go and try and do it. Like, kind of what, like what South by Southwest did, do a virtual festival for all these things. And yeah. I think a lot will. Khan won't do it because to them it's so, and they've said it, it's so yes. intrinsic the idea. Cinema of is sacred. In the space. It is sacred. The, the, I, I, Khan can be purists. They're one of the very few places that can. I'm curious whether Venice will go ahead and um, a few of the others. I think a lot of festivals will look to go online. Sydney, Melbourne, it's a massive undertaking and certainly a lot of the films, they play more than others. There's a risk and potential demand for piracy. So yeah. that's their potential concern. I think a lot of smaller festivals will look to go online. You're seeing it already with places like Static Vision, uh, Philharmonic in Melbourne, who are screening a lot of short films from up and coming 
and newly established filmmakers. I just received word from Revelation that they uh, are looking at doing a form of an online festival coming up. Um, I know that cinema, which was scheduled to take place in August, July in Melbourne and around the country are looking at working in the digital space. Um, Setting Sun, uh, Gold Coast are looking at doing online events. Certainly Gold Coast Film Festival, as of this week, are having a whole week of online awards and screenings. And while I don't think we'll get the traditional festival format, a lot will try to go to the space. Moreover, a lot will try to recreate as much as they can the social aspect. Like you said, I love the social aspect. I met a lot of my good friends there, yourself included, Sean. And um, like we go back to static vision from a moment ago, they have had a great interactive element in that they had people chatting through an online stream. Philmonic had that too. Their sister Cell in Sydney Kino had that. I think people will look to these festivals and online screenings, but I think the, the ones that will reach out and be more successful in continually engaging audiences, certainly we've seen static vision doing renewed and increasingly successful events over the course of the last few weeks and coming up this Friday are the ones that will be able to create that online atmosphere and and interactive atmosphere and keep that going mm. and even if they can't do it with uh, current like the program that they had been working on so hard for like six to 12 months trying to organize a festival until it just you know it can't, they can't happen anymore i've seen a lot of other festivals and mainly through through festivals through you glenn that like a lot of festivals are putting like old like back catalogs of films that have previously been shown and they're making them available like to be streamed either on their website, like either for free or like at a discounted rental price. Like I've seen like Monster Fest have been doing that. The Irish Film Festival has been doing that. The Jewish International Film Festival have been doing that. What do you think about this? It's, I think it's a really great initiative. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I'm so glad that Monster is not doing it as a well doing weekly Fright Night screenings now. Um, Queer Screen have started publishing films, shorts and features that have come in previous years. The Lawn Film Festival, one of my very favourite cities in the whole of Australia. The Japanese Film Festival have released 12 free films from 2019. I think it's a way to keep people engaged. I think it's a way that to, to raise awareness of films people might have missed. Certainly, it is actually of great benefit to all these filmmakers because a lot of films, once they get a festival screening, don't, oh, don't often see yeah, regular they viewings. Don't really on get stage. distribution, no. Outside of the uh, festival, they might, they'll, they won't, probably don't get distribution or like two years later, they'll show up on SBS World Movies probably. But here they have more of a shelf life and here they have a exactly. continuous shelf life. It's great. And some of the festivals just have the capacity to recommend films that are streaming in other places. Some have the capacity to exhibit them themselves. Um, Revelation, again, are adding new material from past RevFests, several new films every week, every fortnight. And I love seeing this happening. I'm hoping more and more do it. I think a lot, again, have a problem with the element of piracy. Some festivals do require continuous income to maintain themselves so they have a subscription service perfectly understandable others uh, that are more established or have different financial circumstances able to offer those films for free and i think i would say that for those services that can do that it's great but for the ones that can't it's great to reach out and support them because these are festivals that may not run in a subsequent year certainly many have said that the reason that they have not run this year is because they know that they attempt to run 
and then put forward a festival that had to cancel. They just won't have enough money in Kitty for the following year. And even festivals that just have full of cancelled for the year know that they need these sorts of services and the sort of sports to maintain activity in 2021. So if you want to see a lot of these festivals in 2021, you know, do a subscription and it's worth it because some of the stuff mm-hmm. the Japanese Film Festival, Jewish International Film Festival putting up there, I've seen all the Irish Film Festival films. They're great. It's totally worth checking out. Yeah, and if you obviously you you come first at this very difficult time, it's really tough times. And obviously, guys, stay at home, wash your hands, do all the things you need to to stay home in the quarantine in during this stay pandemic. Safe. Stay safe, but also and also put yourself first. But if you can, if you have the money to spare, if you want to keep supporting these festivals and these films, definitely either subscribe or if they if they if you can, like donate to some of these festivals too. Oh, absolutely there and a lot of a lot of the festivals are large entities a lot of them are just families or friends or couples or individuals who've done this as a massive labor of love who have worked on a festival for several months a year to put on a five or six day event and now find they can't do it and there are those individuals too have jobs and commitments and families and some do have the capacity to um to put stuff online and whatnot i've noticed it's really good that some the people from Hino and Philmonic have developed the capacity to have interactions with filmmakers online to still screen material. And I'm noticing quietly that different spaces are looking at collaborating with each other from a technical perspective. Certainly there are practical limitations with all of us having to maintain a 1.5 meter distance and more, but there are people out there who are really passionate and really care about this and are working really hard to make sure online film spaces, not only are able to be maintained and active, but remain vibrant. And the places that are doing it, it's okay to reach out to them, get in touch because they're so willing to help and they want to see your festival be as successful or your space, whatever you're doing, um, be as relevant, be has such an impact and continue on through to 2021 well into the future. Absolutely. And just, just I want to get your, your thoughts on one thing, because I'm really curious about this after all of this blows over and we're finally allowed back like festivals start running again if they do or even just the sit like cinemas going in general do you think people are going to be rushing back to the cinemas because they've been missing out on that experience or do you think that people they're really going to struggle and people will be hesitant to go into a dark room with a bunch of a bunch of strangers very very close together because it doesn't sound like the most ideal place to be after a global pandemic has just ended, if it will in, I don't know, how in the foreseeable future. We, we hope it's in the foreseeable and immediate future. I don't think people, just practically speaking, will rush back to cinemas or public spaces right away. Certainly it's going to be very mm. dependent upon any government advice or uh, anything mandated. Certainly when people know that there is a they don't have that immediate concern they will flood back i think you'll have an immediate turn where people will be flooding back to the cinemas i can't wait i can't wait to see a movie in a big screen surrounded by several hundred people i do however think that there's going to be a very different film landscape when this happens i think a lot of the major studios will start to release the big tent pole features that they've had to delay and because yeah, they want to get a lot of that money in straight away. There's just going to be like a huge log jam of films that are all going to come out at once. I can, it might, I can see it happening. I don't know whether it will, but I've got a feeling it will. Like Mulan, A Quiet Place 2, they're all, like all of these films, maybe even Bond, they're all going to be competing against Bond each will be other. One of the first. It's, going to be, it's going to be like a free-for-all at the box office yeah, and, whenever cinemas reopen. And it's going to be the crowd-pleasing stuff, like the Bonds, like the Marvel movies. But I also think at this time, you're going to have a lot of people who have been developing projects and working a lot of indie fare. And I think you'll see, unfortunately, I've always bemoaned the loss of the mid-budget film. 
And I think what's going to flood cinemas in the immediate term is these big temple features, yeah. but also festivals, these community spaces, which people want to see their friends and where they go to all the time. And those, the lifeblood of a lot of those festivals is smaller, independent, lower budget fare. So I think you'll see the industry stratified in that sense. And I do hope the mid-budget film makes a return, but I think at least in the next few years, it won't be as strong as either the massive $100 million features which all the big studios are putting out or all the indie features which thousands of indie filmmakers across the world are working on right now because they have the time. Yeah, and do you think maybe like the for like this immediate future after this ends, like the cinema will be not exclusively to like these big budget blow shit up tentpole action films, but it will be mainly that. And like we've already kind of started to see a little bit now with the closure of the cinemas, a lot of the smaller budget films are going like they're kind of bypassing the theatrical and going, we're going to talk about one of them very shortly, but they, and they, then they're going to go straight to video on demand or streaming or yeah, straight to DVD and video. What are your thoughts there? I think, I think the distributors, well, the one big thing is the theatrical window between the theatrical and home and releases. Yeah, and The Invisible Man is a perfect example where it was already in a theatrical one and went straight to um, video on demand and home release. Um, certainly, a lot of the distributors have been advocating for a shortening of this window. I think they're going to find it very hard to walk it back. I think streaming, people are taking it up more and more. It's one of the juices that are doing well. I think they'll continue to do well following this. And I think people will just get used to not just streaming, but seeing big budget stuff being released. The first major studio picture to be released on streaming shortly is Artemis Fowl. And with studios wanting to maintain interest and wanting to have people subscribe, they're going to start dropping more and more of these big features. They're just going to have to take a loss if they want people to keep taking up their service. Yeah, I believe Onward is also going to be dropping on Disney+, Plus, which sort of got a release. It, like, it did okay at the box office. It, didn't, it was underperforming by Pixar's and Disney's very lofty standards. But again, with like The Invisible Man, like, I think there's a, less of a risk there because that film had already yeah, like, had its theatrical run and made something ridiculous like 15 times its budget back. So they really don't... They, uh, they only have stuff... They only have to gain. They're, they've really got nothing to lose. Yeah, I, I think you'll see some that will attempt to come back. Cinemas. One we're talking about later, I know had a very brief theatrical run and then when is going looking going straight to streaming. I think people will be more used to streaming. I think you, you'll be I think you'll I think you'll see a ramp up of a trend you've seen in cinema over the past few years and what I think was going to happen inevitably but will be accelerated over because of this, in that people will start treating the cinema in one or two respects. 20, 30, 40 years ago, you went to the cinema regularly. It was very cheap. Certainly this was, people went several times a week um, mm. in the 20s and 30s, how big a fan you were. Now I think you'll go to the cinema for one or two reasons. One, yeah. as a bit of an event, a date, and you'll do it for a big movie or for yeah, like uh, a, so, a social earlier, gathering. Festival, yeah, like- uh, people just figure, oh, um, the streaming is available. It's easier. We're so used to it now. I, I, I do. I don't entirely agree with the direction Khan has taken more generally. Um, I do appreciate that their their space as a cinema in its purest art form has a place. I certainly prefer going to the movies, mm. but I think the industry is really going to have to yeah. contend with that. People will just be more comfortable with streaming. Precisely. And one of these, the film in question that we talked about that was initially meant to have its theatrical release at the beginning of April here in Australia, and but now has since moved directly to video on demand for the time being now, and you can rent this right now, is Ant Timpson's film Come to Daddy, which you saw at the Sydney International Film, at Sydney, no, International, the Sydney Film Festival. I saw yep. it at MIF as well. 
Uh, and you also got to direct. You also got to interview the film filmmaker um, Ant Timpson about this film too. And you've interviewed him multiple times. I've interviewed him a couple of times. I really enjoy talking to Ant. It's actually the first time I've met him in person. Though we've done our other interviews over um, Skype and over radio. But yeah, it was it was good to meet him. He'd just come off the international premiere in at the New Zealand's National Film Festival. I'm um, having an absolute ball. I know this is a project he'd been toying with, working on for a number of years. It's a very personal one and starring at least one very well-known actor who, for the first time in a very long time, returned to New Zealand, Elijah Wood, after he made another little series in New Zealand some, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago. I don't remember. There might yeah, have been a, yeah. I think it's based on a book. I'm not sure. Maybe several books. Maybe. I'm not sure. I think Amazon oh, might be doing it again. I don't know. I, I can't wait for that. I know it's stalled <laughs> like everything else, but a Lord of the Rings series is something... I'm a Tolkien fan. It's something I'm genuinely excited for. It's a billion dollar series. It's, wow. It's insane. I don't know how that is. I wait with cautious anticipation. Let's just say that. But this uh, film. Yeah, Post Game of Thrones, that's fair. Yeah. But come to Daddy. This is a film. It's. How would you describe it? It's a sort of a horror film, sort of a black comedy. Uh, very much rooted in tragedy, as you'll talk a little bit about, or you can go listen to, listen, you record it. It's a recorded interview or it's a, just a transcript one? Um, it's a recorded interview. It's, it's recorded. up on Falcon Screen 2SCR. I did transcribe some parts of Falcon Screen. It's, I'd say it's a black comedy with, I'd say it's a horror with black comedy elements. I'd agree there. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very quirky film. It's a, it has haunted house elements. It has bottle horror elements, I and very uh, and based on a very tragic incident involving um, the death of Ant Timpson's father, and uh, what transpired immediately following his death. Um, certainly, not to go into too many details about the film, but um, he had to wait with the body for a time for a term, and as is very commonly the case with persons who pass, and elements of this are very evident. In the movie, I think actually in the best sequences in the movie. Yeah, um, I genuinely really unsettling it. too and melancholic. Yep. So the base, yeah, the basic plot of this film is that um, Elijah Wood plays kind of this sort of like apologies for the Melbourne reference, Grant Glenn, but sort of plays this Brunswick his, hipster with like I've been to Sydney Street. This, I know where Brunswick is. <laughs> Sydney Road. Get it right. So <laughs> he has this horrible mustache, this ridiculous like friar's haircut. It's insane. And I remember in the in like the introduction that Ant gave at my NIF screening, him like coming to you know, Elijah Wood to tell him what the character would look like. Elijah's reaction was like, "You're joking, right?" <laughs> it is really? made to look yeah. But so Elijah Wood like he's a hit like he's a child of divorce. Like as, as an adult, like. 30 years after 30 odd years after his father left his mother he is invited to go to his father's incredible beach house i gotta say the the location scouts did an incredible job to find this house it's gorgeous i want the house i do too and he goes to his estranged father to try and like i guess um reconcile with him and things take a very very dark turn as you'd imagine a horror black comedy would do I think like what you were saying there, the horror elements I think work really well. And there are some great, really great moments of black comedy in there too. And I think you've mentioned this in your reviews too. There is a great explanation and it's a little bit of a bugbear with you. And it is with me about like how phones are treated in horror immediately. Like I think within like the first five or 10 minutes, there is a great scene. There's a great way that this film shows 
like that explains that. I loved that. Yeah, I, 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 there's, there's a terrible, wonderful YouTube compilation of all the times in horror films where someone waves a phone and says there's no reception to establish that, oh, we can't call the cops. And modern horror doesn't really know how to deal with modern technology and the fact that everything, all the plots that we're familiar with and writers are familiar with today can generally be solved by just, hey, here's a cell phone, call the cops. And I, I would compare this to Better Watch Out in that it is a very creative... Also very good location scanning, film it down the road from my childhood home. <laughs> um, but they, they do have a creative way of dealing with this, which is also a great misdirection, though I think Come to Daddy did even better. It also has a great twist, which it I absolutely does. like. It's very, it's very, I won't say the film, but it's a bit of a spoiler, but it's very comparable to a highly lauded film from the past year. Yeah. It's oh my goodness, film. you are so right. <laughs> I, I didn't notice very it last time. So. Yeah, that's... I, I never thought of it that way. It's very interesting. Yeah, like, like, it is definitely kind of like that film you're talking about. It's kind of a film in two parts. Like, I think the first half is like... It's like, yeah, it's like this isolation thriller where, like, you don't know. There's He, he reunites with his dad and there's a lot of unresolved tension there and like it just keeps building and building and building and then right around the halfway point this thing happens and then it turns into kind of a different movie and it's fascinating to what i think it really kind of trails off at the end and become i guess because there's a very personal film to aunt timson it kind of had to go there and it just to me it I'm, I'm i understand why it's there i just didn't think it was done particularly well or just landed particularly well but I also just got to say Elijah Wood, though, like his post Lord of the Rings career has just been like when you don't have to make any money ever again, you can just do the weirdest projects you want, like making films like this and then like creating Spectavision films and producing stuff like Mandy and Color Out of Space. Like he's had a really great sort like there was a lot of people after Lord of the Rings whose career have just kind of veered off. But like he is someone that's just been consistently working and is just always always doing really interesting things, kind of like what Daniel Radcliffe has done post Harry Potter. I, I love Daniel Radcliffe's late career. I'm all there for it. I'm all there for the craziness. I don't know what he can do to ramp up post getting guns affixed to your hands and playing a farting corpse, but I'm, I'm going to turn up. I'm, I'm going to watch yeah. it. I think he played a neo-Nazi somewhere in there too. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he just, I want to be as far from Harry Potter as... I, as I can yeah. be. And with Elijah Wood, it's even more pronounced because Frodo was such a sincere, serious role. And here he's just, I want to do whatever I can do to not be of that ilk. I know he made um, a couple of TV series yeah. a number of years. The one with the dog was great. Oh, yeah. Is, that, is um, the American but, version of Wilfred any good, though? I mean, I don't know. I've never really watched it, but I know it's a remake of the Australian, of the Australian SBS series. It's not bad. It's not as good as the Australian one, but... It's not bad, in large part because of wood, I'd say. Mm. Um, I liked him in this. I'm there for his, for his, his late career stuff, too. I yeah. love that between 2001 and 2004, he made four of the best films of each of those respective years. We wrote The Lord of the Rings and Eternal Sunshine. And after that, I'm just going to experiment, and I'm just going to have fun. And this is one of the long lines of clearly, mm. I, I want to hang out with Ant Simpson and hang out with a cool crew. I liked the first two acts of this film a lot. I love the twist. I did not absolutely... I'm not someone who sits yeah. in a film and waits for twists, but... Yeah, I or, or like, takes satisfaction in, like, guessing what the twist is. Like, I, no, I remember... Gen- genuinely remember seeing this film for the first time at MIF, and with a really good late-night crowd at MIF, too. 
And yeah, did not see that coming. And then the films that the direction takes is like, you just keep, you watch in anticipation to see what happens next. It's not that great when it gets to the third act. I, it, it, I felt, I think it actually comes down to the writing. I don't think anyone involved had a really clear idea of how practically what theme they wanted to end it on. So it turns into much more evo- uh, visually evocative material when it was mm. so suspense laden and orientated and reliant. Yeah, it goes, it veers into exploitation more towards the end, doesn't it? And like, you know, very gory right. violence, yeah. Didn't need to be. Uh, a lot of the, I think it's a thing in modern horror film that you have to have a neon drenched scene. And this has one towards the very end. And it looks good when it's used well, but when you just throw it in the film, it's so out of place, tonally, visually. It felt like I was watch- I'd come into the third act of a very different movie. And I wish it had just been more consistent. I honestly could have spent the third act wondering what the hell is going on here. I think that's part of it. For the first two acts, you're thinking something genuinely unsettling is here. There is something wrong. I want to see what it is. And as soon as you know what it is, it turns into action fair rather than horror suspense fair. That genre is, is interesting to me. And I don't think it was as well executed as um, the other elements. It's certainly Tim said in the past has proven depth at underlying horror than um, action, which is, the, which is a very different realm entirely. I'm with you there. I didn't think the action elements were, even though it does lead to some, like it's a lot of sort of like audience gasp moments, like of kind of shock that it gets there. I just don't really think it really, yeah, I've said it before. I don't really think it winds up as well as it probably should, but overall I do think it's a good film that like, it's a really fun film that people definitely should check out. And now that it's available to rent on basically wherever you get your rentals, iTunes, Google play, uh, yeah, check it out. And it is coming out on DVD and Blu-ray in June as well. So make sure you check that one out. Another film yeah. which that I'm not quite sure if it is has been delayed or called off or if it's going to get a home release. But um, this is a film that I was been I missed at like three different festivals last year. You caught it at the Sydney Film Festival. This was meant yeah. to come out in late March in a very, very limited release through Mad Men Films. This is the Colombian film Monos. Um, this was their entry for best foreign language feature or best international feature at the Oscars last year and really was surprised it didn't get shortlisted. And this film, I found it interesting because this was one that your, you and your um, co-host over at Film Fight Club absolutely despised, but like literally every other person I talked to who saw it absolutely loved it. So I was like, I, I was like, I don't, who of you, do, who do I have to trust between either of you? And in, in the end, I kind of landed somewhere in the middle. So it's kind of, it's, it's set in, I guess, just in the end, the mountains in Colombia. And it's about these, this group called Monos, which is a band of child soldiers. And they just kind of do stuff for 90 odd minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They just, they just kind of do stuff. That, that's my issue with this film. There's only been one other occasion in the past few years where I've gone into a film that's been so praised and felt something so dissonant from everyone else around me. That was the first It film. I I wasn't a fan. That that was Midsummer for me. Oh, Midsummer was great. Happy to fight about Midsummer with you. It's a piece of shit, sorry. It's better than Hereditary. Um, That's not. (laughs) So, oh God, Monos, dear me. Oh, I... It's bothers me that it's such a great premise, the idea of getting to this world with child soldiers who've kidnapped this Westerner 
And I would be interested in it if I felt we got to know any of them individually. No. There was just too many of them, too little time to get into deal with any individual character. No, you don't I really know them. You don't really know them beyond their very, like, kind of uh, juvenile nicknames that they all give each other. I'm trying, if I'm trying to remember what they had, like, I'm looking through my notes now to remember what some of them were. Uh, yeah, Big we didn't really hear was, their real names. There was the leader, generally. there was Bigfoot. There was, I remember the leader's name was Bigfoot, and he's played by, I remember Bigfoot, because he's played by Rico from Hannah Montana, an actor named Mo- Moses Arias, who, I mean, he was just like this really, really annoying kid on that show that was kind of like the comic, one of the many comedic foils of that show. But here he is, and one of the few positives I'll get, one of the positives I'll give to this movie is that the intensity and the young actors are all really good. Like there is a really, there's a rawness I find to a lot of this film, especially with the, especially with his performance too. And he was genuinely scary. I think the performances are good. I I, I do rate them. I rate Julian Nicholson too. Um, I quite like her other other work she's done. And there was a great scene where she has to present a story as to her situation and a fly just lands at her face. And mm. I it obviously couldn't have been planned, but the actress knew intrinsically that she was at such, it was at such a breaking, the character was at such a breaking point. She didn't even react as a character and it worked really well. Um, so what, and I, there was another film last year, the one with um, West Cal's Rob Pattinson, where the best, my favorite moment was just by random incidents. Uh, the forms are good. I could have spent a lot more time it's a really a criticism I make, but it's a film that could have been longer if I felt I wanted to engage and enjoy it more. I liked it more when it got to the beginning of the third act. Um, there's an act of violence which transpires in a body of water and yes. which for the first time things start to feel tense, start to feel like they're moving. There's uh, dramatic evolution. The film honestly could just as well have started there for all we learned about any of the characters. But you need the training montage, Glenn. You need, you need the training montage. Set what to... do we do without a training montage? We, every film needs a training montage after yeah. Rocky Four. Also, another good thing to this track, another good thing I'll say about this movie, the training montage, and that's the score from Mika Levi. Whose whose who's score work? I don't think she hasn't she hasn't done too many uh, film scores, but the ones she's done so far have been absolutely extraordinary. She did this, she did Jackie, and she did Under the Skin, which are all incredible like compositions. And here, like I think this is the most discordant of like all the ones she's done so far, and it's a bit jarring at first, but I think it really work, It really suits the movie and sort of the really like anim, like not at, like animalistic and sort of nature of like these characters too. And it's got those droning elements, like where you feel like you're there's yeah. something. It's it situated you well in the forest. I'll, I'll give it that. I did, I did like the score. Um, what, one thing that really frustrated me though was that the I'm gonna you can't see my quotation marks the twi- marks the twists at the end. It's one of those twists where they feel they have to throw something in to make it seem like there was a twist, but it didn't add anything to the story. It's just a it's not an aha moment. It's a aha uh-huh, right mm. okay there we are moment. There's and that kind of yeah. got me. I think, and I think this is what a lot of people have said. Like, it's it, they always want to do like the pull quote sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's Lord of the Flies meets Apocalypse Now, and all those sort of things. But my kind of problem with the film is that it's kind of like this mixtape of like so many inspirations, and that it's just kind of homaging that it doesn't really become its own. Like, there's a lot of elements of like Terrence Malick, especially like these very vast, like open, like really beautiful shots of like the you know, the mountains and the rivers and the jungle and all this sort of thing. And even with that, like, it's very much like a Werner Herzog, like an Aguirre, 
sort of thing. And also like the thing with child soldiers and like these really intense close up of sad child's faces. There was a lot of like Alim Klimov's come and see in there too. I mean, there's even a scene with a dead, oh, like, with, there's even a scene with a, where they kill a cow or like with a, with a killed cow. So I'm like, okay, that's literally just come and see. And then there's also like obviously thematic elements to Apocalypse Now and Lord of the Flies and all that kind of thing. And yeah, it's just like a little bit too similar to a lot of these films that it really didn't become its own film in my, in, to me. And that's what really kind of held it back. And also just like what you were mentioning, you didn't really get to know any of the characters. The film is constantly, it, the, the film can't make up its mind as to who the main, main character is. No. No. I think you're absolutely right. They're they're reaching for a lot here. Lord of the Flies, Golden uh, Golden is the I think the strongest comparison point here. There's been a fair few adaptations over the years, or like thereof. There was a great one that screened at the, uh, the French Film Festival. It's called The Lost Boys, and that actually changed elements of the narrative. But but there we knew Ralph, we knew Piggy, we knew what motivated each of them. We know where the dynamic within the group, even though it was quite a large group, and. and what really grates me about this, and I get that not every film has to be about what is going on contemporaneously, but the film is very clearly trying to be a commentary on what is going on in Colombia right now. What's happening in Colombia right now is fascinating. There's been a deal, obviously it's gone back and forth and there are uh, contentions as to how it should be enforced, to what extent it can be enforced with, um, with the rebels from FARC. And it's, I know it's been upended to some extent, but I would have loved a film which dealt with these sorts of issues even implicitly a little bit more, but it, and I think it was going for in the most broader sense, but I wish it had been a little more focused in that regard. I think it devolves into traditional, as in a very, not the same way to come to daddy, it devolves into traditional action fair. And yes, that was my favorite part of the film, but in that respect, it's too very unfocused into what it wants. And in terms of plot, character, I wish I come out this film saying I knew or understood something more, but I, I really don't feel I did. Yeah, neither. So yeah, that's Monos. Um, keep an eye out on Madman's website to see if this will get a release once cinemas reopen or if this will drop on demand or on DVD or home video very soon. And I will also provide updates on ABMP's social media outlets, letting you know when you can see this as with the other film which you mentioned earlier got a very limited um theatrical got a limited theatrical release not in the fact that limited in two ways it wasn't in a whole heap of cinemas and then also it was in cinemas for four days until they all shut which is a film uh the new film from ben wheatley happy new year colin burstead now this played i missed this at like four different festivals last year i could have got a screener for it at the sydney film festival i could have seen i missed seeing it at MIF. i didn't see it at the british film festival either and then I went to the press screening uh, about a month ago now. That's how long it's been since I've watched this film. So my thoughts might be a little bit hazy, but this is essentially like it's a, a man named Colin Burstead who basically hires this uh, mansion in the countryside and invites all of his extended family to come spend the new year. And as because it's a big overblown family drama, there is of course drama. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, Glenn, but I find Ben Wheatley to be very much hit or miss. Like, I think his co when he does comedy, he's like, like I haven't seen two the films I've seen so far. I saw Sightseers, which is like the caravanning killer movie, which I thought was kind of funny, but 
a bit of a t- like it was fun although overall kind of a bit of a mess and then there was free fire which i thought would have been an incredible 20 minute short film but is somehow 90 minutes long and people say that his earlier films like um field in england and kill list are the ones that are really good uh there are a lot of mixed reception about um high rise as well so i'm really i'm keen to check that out and now he's going to be remaking alfred hitchcock's rebecca so like the dude has had a very varied career and he's got, he's gone back to like making this sort of very down to earth and um, this very down to earth like very like uh, intense intense family drama where you know everyone has their own things and things start to boil over yeah <laughs> apparently and i just realized he's actually doing tomb raider 2 dear me oh uh, that's right that's right yeah, the, yeah. he's doing the next uh, alicia vikander tomb raider i forgot about that yeah so now he's going to be making he's going having a foray into genre filmmaking into <clears throat> into hollywood filmmaking even though i think high rise was meant to be that and then it just didn't really work out I wasn't a fan of High Rise. It squandered a lot of exceptional and still exceptional talent. It followed the... If you, want, if you want a good film about society and class in a giant tower that came out about that time, go watch Dread. Yes, it's an action film and <laughs> All it's the stupid, but it's exponentially better. Or The Raid, which is even better than Dread. Oh, yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, mo- mo- moder- nominally so. Mm. Um, my, my position on Ben Wheatley will live or die based on his adaptation of Rebecca. I adore Daphne du Maurier. The Hodgecock adaptation is, I think, his most underrated film. I've watched it many a time. I will be there front row center for Rebecca when it happens. Um, I didn't, I quite like the ABCs of death. Free Fire, I, actually, I'm, I'm exactly with you. I don't know why it was a feature. It worked and well enough for me, given the people involved, Larson in particular, but as a piece of experimental filmmaking, sure, fine, but I could get much more from many other films which are more action-orientated, but as but equally plot-orientated. Um, incidentally, I just referred to two perfect examples, The Raid and um, Dread. So he's, this guy, yeah, he's been, he's been hit and miss. But Rebecca's going to be the tipping point for me. Mm. But as with Happy, Happy New Year, Colin Burstead, like it very much feels like it was made. Like it's just sort of a, like, let's get all of these like English actors together, like in a house, like film it over like, I don't know, like a week or so. I, I can't remember how many days it was filmed over. I think it might've been like two weeks or so. And, you know, let's have a, all of these different storylines that all kind of, not necessarily merge together, but also kind of have like this domino effect with each other. So there's like Charles Dance's character who's terminally ill and is like, you know, weighing up whether to tell the family about, you know, about his illness. You've got um, the one of the sisters who accidentally, uh, one of the sisters who has secretly invited uh, a brother who had, but the brother that has uh, not talked to the family in like five years and then has cheated on like his, he cheated on his girlfriend and his, and like death and his family. There's all of these different plot lines going on. There's, yeah, it's, it kind of, I don't know, like films like this really, it really lives or dies by like how. Starting to sound to me like the Josh Whedon adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, where he just got a bunch of his friends for 12 days in a, in a house and said, we're going to hang out, but we're also going to film this movie and we're going to see how it goes. It looked, it, it's got a bit more of a thing to that. There is at least an attempt to make a movie here. Like, unlike um, Joss Whedon doing that, which is just kind of a, oh, look how rich and thing I am. Because he shot that in his own house as well. 
like and yeah. it is, you can definitely tell that like a lot of this and like uh, you find out when you see in the credits like a partly part of this was improvised as well and it's kind of just like again like sort of a concept which I kind of think an episode of Rick and Morty kind of did a little bit better. Like this whole concept of like the people closest to you and the ones that love are the ones that make your life mis- the most miserable, which is the kind of, I think the central theme of this film. And like everyone, most people are pretty horrible to each other, even though they all kind of, I don't know, it's weird. And, I, and then afterwards, I'm just really like, oh, the, they really were like the Burstead. Oh wait, Burstead. And they were all really bad people. Bursted. Oh, I see what you did there, Ben Wheatley. Well done. So this is a film about being stuck in a house with a bunch of people right now. Yep, mm. it is. It, I mean, yes, this is kind of a self-isolation film. If you have a giant English manor, which I guess, the, and also the best character of this film <laughs> isn't even a member of the Birdstead family or the Bursted family. It's the, it's the owner of the property, like the lord of the property, who's just kind of like, just like like an electrical thing like the power goes out one time and he's just like desperately trying to fix it and like he has a relationship with the the caterer and it was like genuinely the most interesting and funny part of the film but then again another point i forgot to mention about this film is that like in trying to escalate drama because there's so many threads going on in this film what it will do it will like quickly cut like so quickly in between it to kind of like build and build upon each little like thing going on but it kind of has the opposite effect. Like it just constantly cuts between all of these different storylines, like within like, like sometimes within like only like 10 seconds of each one. And it just, just tears the pacing to bits. And it's just like, instead of elevating the tension, it makes you more confused as to what's going on and like who's meant and who's who and what's going on. And I don't know. It's, I don't know. If you like these sorts of films and if you're a Wheatley fan, you might get a kick out of this. I'm sort of indifferent on it. So if this again, like you were saying, that this might get a on-demand release very soon. Um, very well, and it seems to me that there, though, however, there is better isolation films you could watch than this yes. or Contagion. Or this does have dancing right now. you don't want to be paranoid. You don't want to be paranoid. Just dancing is good. Watching the Paddington films this weekend, we're watching all the Angela Women musicals. We did Jesus Christ Superstar. So we we're doing Jesus Christ Superstar. We did Joseph. There's, there's plenty other plenty of options out there. Gonna do cats. Um, we actually <laughs> are doing cats the mu- movie next Friday. <laughs> My roommate hasn't seen it, and a group of friends want to watch it. And it's coming out. A couple of them. I'm giving a shout out to cats. It's coming out on the 14th on uh, for streaming on YouTube. So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be doing that to ourselves. Third time's a charm. Interesting. <laughs> Third time. So you've seen it. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I watched the pre-release version and then I had to watch the version at the insistence oh. of friends with have, the cut. Oh, and do you have the butthole cut? Are you going to get a hand, your hands on the butthole cut? Where is this? It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to replace the Snyder cut. If I can get this, I think everyone wants to watch this. Um, I don't know where it is. I hope they release by accident in Australia. But be cowards, amazing. release that cut, cowards. <laughs> oh, awesome. Amazing. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, next one I want to talk about, which again is probably another film. All of the films that, uh, if we're not sure if they have VOD or DVD releases in the upcoming months, or if they are going to be released afterwards in cinemas, I will let people know on the ABMP social media channels. But yeah, another film that I got to check out, checking my notes, I realized I didn't take notes, take notes for this film because I left my notebook at home when I did, uh, is a Palestinian film called It Must Be Heaven, which is a film that I 
there are some films where I watch, I'm like, I'm very confused as to what this film's doing. I think I know what it is, but it's probably doing something very different. And I don't love it now, but I can see myself loving this in the future, like on rewatches. I don't know if you feel that way about films, Glenn, or if you like to rewatch certain films. But for me, this film is... It took me a while to figure out what this film actually was. So the filmmaker, I'll try and get his name up right now. Hold on. I think, so it's a Palestinian filmmaker. I think he's Elias Suleiman. Elias Suleiman. Elias Suleiman, yeah. So it's about him just kind of like pottering about his daily life and then in Palestine. And he travels to France. Like at the start, I'm just like, okay, so he's just a lonely old man. Like he's a lonely, sad old man. Like he's... His neighbors are just like watering his lemon tree and like it's an, it's slightly annoying and he's pruning his lemon tree, all this sort of annoying stuff. And there's like good, good like visual gags in this film early on. And then he travels to France and then he wanders around in, in a pretty long sequence. It's like the pretty much the entire like second half of the first act and like the entire second act of the movie is him in Paris. And he's walking around and Paris, it, it's just pretty cool like he's just wandering in Paris and it's like completely empty and it's it's kind of it's eerie but then it's also kind of great because there's some really lovely cinematography of this man just walking around like or like you know going to the Louvre and like you know down like Champs-Élysées and like seeing it completely empty and then later you find it's a gag oh it's great yeah it's like it's like where is everyone like what's happening it's like oh my god is France actually like Palestine like is this is there like some political and social parallels going on here and then it's all kind of a gag building up to like no it's just bastille day there's no one around because it's bastille day and because he see he see he also sees like tanks and like military everywhere and he's wondering what's happening and no it's just bastille day and then there's a late there's a part later in the film then but then all of this was happening and then it gets to a point where i realized what this film really was about and then it was at this point where i feel like alaya suleiman Suleiman? Elias Suleiman? Uh, I'd say Suleiman. Suleiman. Elias Suleiman. So, and that he is actually playing a version of himself and that he is gone, he's gone to France to get his film, which is called It Must Be Heaven, to get distrib- like international distribution. And that's what I kind of found like that it was about. It's sort of like, I guess, sort of Western perception. Like the film is sort of very much Western perceptions on, I guess... Palestine and also more broadly I guess like how like it's often seen as like this very like you know this very bizarre often very crazy place but then like in parallels and then in the third act when he goes to the United States how actually very similar they are and there's a great scene like when he goes to pitch to an American distributor to his film and there's a really great cameo by Gael Garcia Bernal who is on the phone like with one of his producers and he's like, oh yeah, I've got Alaya Suleiman here. And he's like, no, yeah, he's a great filmmaker from Palestine. No, he's not one of those, he's not one of those um, Israeli Palestinians. He's a, past, he's a Palestinian Palestinian. So there's like great little like, you know, jabs and things there. Like it's really, really, what I'm assuming is really smart political satire. You might have a bit more, um, I'm really interested in what you say you would think about this film. It's just, it, and that's what I mean by this thing. It's like, I didn't know what kind of film I was in for when, before I was watching this, but like, as the film progressed, I was like, I'm starting to get a, I'm starting to get on the wavelength of this film now, but I feel like it's too late and I need to watch this again. 
So it's it's a fascinating film that I really, really want to see again. And I, I wish I could say more about that, but I just need to see it again because I just don't really feel like I can do this film justice or review it properly until I have. I, I'd watch it again. I'd watch it with you. I haven't seen it. This is not exactly the film, type of film I want to see. I lived in America. Um, I've spent a lot of time wandering full energy streets in Paris, and I've spent a fair amount of time in the West Bank. I haven't been to Gaza. I have been along the border. Um, where, where, where is this set exactly? Where is the, he, the fellow's hometown? I cannot remember. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious, but this, this, sounds, this sounds fascinating. I mean, certainly there are large Palestinian communities in France and America around the world, but I think by the sounds of it, that's not exactly what they're going for. It's how mm. the society more broadly is analogous. Um, I remember when I first went to the West Bank, it wasn't as I expected. Certainly, I'd inundated with press and media and film and else which painted the picture of what it was like there and um certainly parts elements were accurate in that regard others were uh, in other respects it was very much just like normal and regular mm. as um i might be wandering down a street anywhere else in the world um and i would i'd w- be very keen to see uh this film in light of i it's been a little it's been about a year and a half since i was last there I, 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 and certainly the area's changed in that time, but I'd be fascinated to see this mm. film and what it has to offer. Yeah, it's very, it, like, it's kind of a travelogue film disguised as, like, a political, like, as this very sly and very quiet political satire, and, like, uh, Suleiman himself is kind of like a Jacques Tati-esque figure in a way, so, like, he's just kind of, it's a mostly silent role. I think he only says, like, one, he only has, like, one line for the entire film, and, like, he's just kind of just, like, wandering around just like interacting with like you know just whatever whatever passes him by and it's like and there's some like as i said like what i mean by tati s is like some very very like some great physical comedy as well as just like really great sight gags in here too it's a film that i'm really excited to check out again and yeah definitely keep an eye on it, it apparently it played at myth last year but it was not on my radar at all like i didn't even hear about it i it maybe it may have played at sydney as well because i think it i think it played at khan and it got good reception out of khan so it may have played at I'm, Sydney. I'm not sure. I can check if, I'm not sure if it played at Sydney. Um, I, I just I just remember uh, the last time I was in Bethlehem. You know, you, you get into town. It's a KFC there. There's bustling tourists everywhere, and that's pretty much a description that could be used to describe Paris or New York or just about anywhere else. Um, and by the same token, the idea of I have been in France at a Bastille day. It is exceptionally different to other days of the year. The but I think there's many parallel. With, 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 with this particular part of the world, it's one that not everyone travels to in the regular course of events. And also so, one that's not really presented in cinema that much either. Sorry? And one that's not really presented in cinema very often either. No, no. There was a great Palestinian film from several years back at the City Film Festival, Omar. Um, I know the City Film Festival at the least do... A, cu- a couple of Palestinian features each year. The Palestinian Film Festival, mm. which has been running for 10 years now, runs in, Oct- I think it's October, November, mm. um, in Sydney, Melbourne, a few other cities. Um, there's a lot of good Palestinian cinema. There's actually, yeah. I... Wajib. There's a lot of Wajib great- is awesome. Wajib, yep. And there's actually a lot of great... Uh, the Palestinian music industry is great. Very underrated. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, I would... I know we're not going to get to any film festival this year, but... Um, maybe this, hopefully this will all have 
the things will be back to normal by the time the Palestinian Film Festival comes around. But I look forward to um, getting a fix of the Palestinian cinema at uh, SFF and hopefully October when this is all, and if PFF wants this is all, hopefully fingers crossed, just back to regular regular happenings. And yeah, MEF come next year because um, yeah, um, this I guess that's where you where people catch flicks like they would like this you wouldn't see anywhere else yeah this one this was in a this was going to be in a very very limited release um through potential films and uh as i said i will let people know if this well, like if this gets a theatrical release when cinemas open back up or if it will be available through vod home video like all of those different sources it must be heaven a film that i'm very perplexed by and like i'm very fascinated by but i really really want to see it again I think it's okay to be perplexed by maybe. I love getting yeah. blown away by film. I just don't, uh, I, 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 I don't feel across. I feel, oh, we're so rich that I have to see it again. I want to become more acclimatized to it. Um, a film I had caused to discuss recently was the Brazilian film City of God, a film when I saw it some years ago, I wasn't across the political, the broader circumstance or much about it, but I learned about that society and that, that very small, that small part of the world through this and wanted to know more. And I think still um, learning more. And I, lo- I, love, I love when a film can do that. Definitely. I've got a feeling this film might do that for me. Kind of like what Panahi's filmography has done for me with Iran too. Like I'm not oh. re- like he has introduced me to not only like the political situation in Iran, but also like how his work is very, very against the grain of everything that they, that they do. Yeah, no, I, I, I very much appreciate his filmography. I'm very glad that Acme and Melbourne Cinematheque made their first virtual Cinematheque a Panahi double. I, I think a lot of filmmakers are going to be following into Nafar Panahi's footsteps in, like him, in very different yes. circumstances, albeit Every, being required yeah. to make films in the confines of their homes. Everybody is going to make their own This Is Not A Film once quarantine is over. Everyone will. Everyone. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see a lot of these. Um, the, the Filmonic screening I went to um, online, they already were doing film, uh, a few entries along those lines. But I used to think on a more serious note, you're going to see film. Um, there's been a lot of contention when this pandemic um, originated and now as to the outbreak in Iran and the extent to which it just proliferated there. And I think you're going to be seeing filmmakers respond to that um, very vehemently. I think we'll be looking at a lot of very strong cinema coming out of Iran um, from some of the prominent filmmakers most prominent who we're most familiar with in the coming in the coming year, or potentially a little longer, but uh, that's, I think it's certainly a frontier to watch. Definitely. And we mentioned sort of Jafar Panahi and like the, the double that the Melbourne Cinematheque did. And that's something that like another film thing that festival has been doing in this time when they, and cinemas and festivals and like organizations like this, what they're doing when they can't screen films like that. You, you guys over at Film Fight Club have been, covering a lot of stuff that's been happening on streaming at the moment and like that's been accessible to streaming like you did an episode on talking about popular 70s films from they're available on SBS on demand um and you've done one where you you do one of your TARDIS episodes where you go back to the 30s so what have you what, oh my what, god we finally went back to the 30s I was so happy we never covered free pre 50s cinema we finally did it Howard Hawks all the Howard Hawks films we've covered three decades okay and they're available on streaming are they is that or are they just... They're available on streaming. Yeah, we did the SBS On Demand one. We're planning ones for Stan, Netflix, uh, potentially Disney+. Plus. Uh, we're doing one. I, I'm, I'm very keen to cover, have a whole Peter Weir episode sometime down the line and just cover the stuff that's out there too that, uh, like you said, the 
Melbourne's virtual cinema tech, um, National Film and Sound Archive are releasing Australian films every couple of weeks. Awesome. There's um, South by Southwest. I don't know if it's available in Australia, but they're looking at yeah. they're, they're looking at a lot of their stuff online. I'm um, selling the BFI are set up for this, and I'm hoping they reel out more and more of their material. But yeah, people realize this is how you reach people right now, and um, you should do it. I'm I'm so keen to be covering streaming for the next little bit. There's a lot we haven't otherwise covered, and there's a, and Stan just this Australian company, incredible. It's my favorite streaming awesome. service. Incredible. They are the best. Okay, I'm gonna go on the record here. Stan is so much better than Netflix in terms of their film, their film selection specifically. Stan, uh, their film selection is incredible. I would agree. Also, I, I would extend it to their TV series selection. I will give Netflix that they produce a lot more, release a lot more original material and, and better material. Uh, but Stan is up a coming company. And, um, and obviously production right now is, is at a halt. I appreciate that. But Stan, if you're toying up for what, to, if you want to get one streaming service, maybe start, start with Stan. There's yeah. so okay. much on there. I've been going through a lot of the TV series on there, serials on there at the moment. Yeah, and Parasite's coming to Stan on Saturday, so get it for that. Yeah, good, 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 good get. Good get for Stan. Amazing get. Like, uh, so close, the, too. The, the perfect film to watch when you're stuck in a house. <laughs> Parasite. Make you curious. Yes. What's in your, might make you curious as to what's in your basement. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Just Go watch Parasite if you haven't already. I watched it. Parasite was the last film I saw in cinemas. I went to watch it again with some friends who hadn't seen it. And Parasite and Portrait of Lady on Fire, those are the last two I did. Very nice. Mine was um, a rewatch of um, uh, Takashi Miike's First Love. That was amazing. Loved it. And I wonder what I, I wonder what the first film we got. Actually, I would like the first film I see. No, it's not like an. I I, I do try to go after indie fair and I love watching what indie filmmakers do. But the first film I'm going to see when cinema's back up and running, I'm fingers no crossed. Time to die. No time to die. That would yeah. be very good. James Bond. It's got to be. Should have came out yesterday. How sad. Oh yesterday was its release date. Yesterday oh. was its release date. Ah, oh, and it was the first one. It was the first big film to say, sorry, we're going to shelve it. Yep. Oh, oh we'll get that's it. a shame. Come to Melbourne. We'll, we'll, we'll watch, watching James Bond. Oh, well, but Glenn is across all sorts of cinema, whether it's on streaming, whether it's festivals, wherever it is. Glenn, if people, want, if people listening that aren't familiar with your work want to know more, where can they go? Yeah, please go to falconscreen.com. That's where we publish uh, all my materials, F-A-L-K-E-N screen.com. Um, Festivez is the film festival database I set up, which is F-E-S-T-E-V-E-Z.com. And then includes up-to-date information, all the festivals that are um, streaming and that have events online and else coming up in the next several months and weeks and mm. days. And Film Fight Club, we're on 2SCR and uh, you can see here material on Falcon Screen. You can subscribe to Film Fight Club on iTunes and Spotify. Mm. Or you can listen live uh, Wednesdays at 7.30pm on 2SCR.com or uh, if, you're, if you're in the Sydney area, uh, 107.3 or 0.5. That's at 107.3 and we actually, letting you in here, we haven't actually 100% confirmed our next our topic for next week. So if you have something you want us to fight about, let us know. Um, we're, yeah. we're talking about a couple of streaming options, but yeah, if, if you have some a film or a series or a subject or a performer or a director, like we'll do it. We're keen here so yeah we'll hmm. fight about it let him know and let him know and if you guys are always like if you if you're getting sick of like scrolling through netflix or stand for 40 minutes not picking what to watch 
head on over to one of the websites, like these film festival websites, like, you know, watch something different, watch something you wouldn't normally watch. And they're all, for, most of them are for free. And, get, and you know how you can get there? You go through Festivus. Yeah, please do. And uh, Static Vision, they've got, we've got a, the first thing you see on the website, it's their event coming up on Friday night. Filmonic Melbourne, amazing resource filmmakers and fans will be screening shorts from uh, directors. That's screening on April 28th. Um, Kino's doing one on May 4th. And Gold Coast are streaming material throughout the whole next, the whole next week. Monster Fest are doing every Friday night. And it's a live stream from the Facebook page. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, do check it out. There's people adapting and doing incredible collaborative stuff in this space right now. Awesome. Glenn, it's been a pr privilege having you on. Always love, always love speaking to you. Thanks very much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been so great, Sean. And I can't, and, well, it's great to see you over this. I can't wait to see you in person before very long. It cannot come soon enough. Hopefully, we'll, we can be let out of our cages in some time soon. But stay safe. But, and everyone, stay safe. Please stay home. Stay home, stay safe, listen to the government, and we'll, we'll flatten. We, we, we're not just going to flatten this curve. We're going to stomp on this curve. We're going to stomp it, it on this curve. We're going to beat it. We're going to beat it to death with baseball bats, much like the printer in office space. We're going to. We're just going to completely ruin it. Yeah, guys, seriously, to, 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 to have this be over, all you have to do is sit in your couch and watch Stan. The we can do this together. Thing to do. We've got this, guys. We we, we can make it happen. <laughs> G'day guys, thank you very much for listening to this episode and thank you for being patient with what I thought would have been the year that we take off but you know COVID-19 had to just come around and mess everything up, not only just in life in general but also our podcast. I was trying to be consistent and try to actually do something with the podcast this year but that will have to be put on ice once again but thanks very much for Glenn for coming on. He was a great guest. And guys, go check out Falcon Screen. Glenn is an incredibly, incredibly talented writer and reviewer. His reviews are incredible. Go check out Falcon Screen. And if you, you know, all these festivals are doing great things now that they, now that they can't screen festivals. They're trying to do things remotely. They're doing great things. And Glenn is all across that over at Falcon Screen. So make sure you check both of those out. And also, listen to Film Fight Club, a great great film program that is it's Wednesdays at 7.30 on 2SER Sydney. If you live in Sydney, listen to them live or you can listen to them through the 2SER website or download their podcast from Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great show. I absolutely love it. I've been on their show before. It is a lot of fun. A great podcast. Make sure you listen to Film Fight Club and also while you're subscribing to Film Fight Club, wherever you get your podcast, do the same for another bloody movie podcast. We're on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix just search for another bloody movie podcast you can like our facebook page you can follow us on instagram at another bloody movie pod and on twitter at ab movie podcast you can follow me on instagram and twitter both at sean hub underscore that is s-e-a-n-h-u-b underscore you can follow me on letterbox letterbox.com forward slash sean coates and you can read my written reviews over at moviebabblereviews.com i did a article covering a, a handful of films I saw at the Fantastic Film Festival of Australia, which I did a previous episode with the festival director, Hudson Sawada. Go check that out if you haven't already. It was a great festival. I saw 13 really great films, and I, I picked four that I did mini-reviews for over at moviebabblereviews.com, so make sure you go over and read that. And also on moviebabblereviews.com, the rest of the staff are doing some really great things over there too. Uh, quarantine picks. Films you should watch while in isolation. We've got a few articles over that coming out. I've contributed to those articles, so make sure you check those out 
over at moviebabblereviews.com. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Stay tuned within the next couple of weeks because we've got episode five of Film Fiasco coming up on the Tom Green classic, Freddy Got Fingered. Eric and I are really looking forward to talking about this enigmatically terrible film. It'll be a fun one. But until then, I'll see you later. Bye-bye.